Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into multiple reviews in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. None of the movies I'm going to talk about are particularly big movies, uh, so I thought I'd just kind of lump them all together in the same episode and kind of cl- cross over each one of them and see, and, and just kind of give you a general opinion on of mine about w- worthiness of watching the movie and, and I guess as much quality as I think they might have. Uh, as it turns out, uh, four movies that I'll be talking to uh, to you guys about today, none of them are good. Uh, the highest rated one got a 47, so um, I guess this is more of a cautionary tale than anything else for all of these. They are all 2018 releases, officially. One is a Netflix movie, and the other three are uh, in theaters to some degree at the moment. So, uh, without any further ado, let's just jump into them and... uh, Get to it. I'll be rev- I'll be talking about them in order from worst to best. Uh, so first up of the four movies is uh, the Tyler Perry directed and written movie Acrimony. It is horrendous. Uh, if you follow me on Letterboxd, I wrote a pretty lengthy and scathing review of it on there. I watched this last night, and it is currently the lowest rated movie. For me in 2018, um, and it's it's pretty pretty dismal. the The main conceit of the film, uh, if you haven't seen any of the trailers, if you don't know anything about it, uh, Taraji P Henson plays a woman who has um, who believes to have she has been scorned and betrayed by her husband, and this leads her down a pretty uh, unsanctimonious path, as it were. Uh, the film opens with her in court being addressed by the judge to, you know, shape up, basically. So uh, you kind of have this wrapper in the film of, you know, she has been injusticed. And so she then takes us back to when she met him and we go through their relationship uh, piece by piece. From me, for me, now, Henson is on all the marketing material, which makes sense because she is the biggest name involved in this movie uh, aside from Tyler Perry himself and the first act of the movie paints her as the good person as the the protagonist as the person to root for and then we hit the second act and things get a little muddled uh, you know you're not really sure which side you should be on uh, the the husband character is given a lot more sympathy in the second act and, but not enough to kind of overwhelmingly make you root for him instead. And so by the third act, uh, you know, you're, you're, we finally jump back into the present. And you get this impression with every new scene, every new line of dialogue, particularly everything that revol- happens re- involving Taraji P. Henson, that she's no longer the main character. She's no longer the person you're tr- rooting for. She is no longer the good guy in this movie. She is the bad guy. She is the villain. And that's that that trajectory in and of itself, that that skeleton is interesting. I, I would be 
fascinated for for, for a competent writer slash director to to give us a movie with that skeleton and i'm sure we've gotten those in the past the problem is <laughs> the problem is the movie just kind of folds underneath its own uh preachings Early in the film, Taraji P. Henson decries the idea that she is a stereotype, that she is a stereotypical crazy black woman, which she ultimately ends up being. And the film takes this cheating husband uh, of... Um, oh, what's I don't remember the character's name. Uh, but he, he cheats on her early in the movie. And then over the course of the movie, he changes... He becomes amazing. He becomes a, a great, a good, well, not maybe not great, but good human being. And uh, so now we're supposed to like this guy who, <clears throat> who you know, has been such a jerk to our main character. Uh, but more than that, and, and what really gets at the heart of my issues with the film is just the characterization of Taraji P. Hansen. That's pretty much the issue. If she is supposed to be the main character, which seems likely, she is on the posters, she is in the marketing material, she is telling us the story. It is all from her perspective. She is uh, clearly an unreliable, uh, unreliable narrator, as evidenced by the fact that she refuses to listen to her husband when he's telling her the truth. And instead follows the sage, sage wisdom of her disillusioned sisters. And she's the one who ends up, you know, cutting ties with him. She, you know, has had enough of it, which is great. You know, she should have done it a long time ago. Uh, as he was conning her out of money and swindling her and all that kind of stuff. But she doesn't. She waits and, you know, till decades have passed. And... As soon as that happens, fortuitous circumstances enter her ex, now ex-husband's life, and she flies into an absolute rage over this because she feels slighted, uh, she feels injustice, she feels as if uh, the life that he now has is owed her, and then he makes amends as best as he can. Uh, f far more generously than, than I think most people would have. And she's not satisfied. She is vengeful. Uh, she is angered and pissed off. And it's a just a disgusting portrayal of humanity, to, to be fairly straightforward about it. And it just, it's laughably bad most of the dialogue is horrendous the visual effects in the movie there are multiple green screen moments that are just terrible and then the the boat uh the mo most of the, the very final scenes take place on a boat and it is complete it is clearly obvious that this boat is nowhere near real water it is in a pool it is in a tank there's a there's a scene where like five or six people are jumping into the water and we see it from underwater and if that's not a pool uh, you know I don't know what is it, it looks terrible the the uh, the acting is not great outside of Henson who is fine it's just I, I don't understand what 
how this was conceived and presented the way that it is presented. It doesn't really cohe it's not cohesive at all. You know, you have no dimensions to our main character who starts out as like this hardened angry bitch and at the end of the mo movie is still a hardened angry bitch. Uh, you know, she could actually have been a sort of sympathetic character in the beginning if we didn't have Taraji B. Henson's narration over top of all the moments that happened when she was in college where things aren't so uh, volatile. And, but like all those moments are stained by her over uh, her narration that just twists the scenes into these ugly things. And, uh, you know, the last thing I think we need is a movie that, uh, you know, blames, or, or not blames, but, uh, you know, paints women as the bad guy in this sort of a scenario, you know, I just, she becomes the bad guy, and, like, that's obviously what happens in this movie, but the, the, the message within that is that women be crazy, and that's a stupid message for a movie, and I would expect nothing less from the always terrible Tyler Perry. So, Acrimony, I'm out. It's awful. I think it's the worst. It's the first movie I've ever seen from director-writer Tyler Perry, and it confirmed pretty much all of my worst fears about his movies, and I'm not looking forward to any of his other stuff, so Acrimony. But let's move on to something slightly better, very slightly, uh, and that is the second movie here. Uh, this one is also kind of in theaters. It's probably on its way out because I don't think anybody cares about it or knows about it even. And that's Sergeant Stubby, colon, an American hero. This is an animated film about a dog that joins the military. Uh, it is... Uh, I watched this at the end of last week, and it is not any better. I mean, it's a, it's a marginally better movie than Acrimony. It plays to kids so it's a little bit less awful the animation is not good it is incredibly dated and the voice work is not good there's a rapper of it being narrated by helena bonham carter who is the voice of the sister to logan lerman's character which is mind-blowing so helena bonham carter and logan lerman play siblings Although, obviously, time has passed, but still kind of incredible. And then you never see her, though. She's not in the movie. She is just narrating the movie for no reason. I, I don't know why she's the narrator. I don't know why we need a narrator uh, for this movie. But we get this dog in the military, and I'm sure a lot of the circumstances are dramatized or actually the opposite of that for kids. And that just makes the movie that much more ridiculous that everyone on this military base except for uh, one of the friends of Logan Lerman, Log the Logan Lerman character falls in love with this dog and wants it to join the military and take it to a battle zone where it can be in... It just doesn't make any sense. I get that it really happened. It definitely didn't happen as the way it, in the way it was portrayed in this movie. And I think that making it seem like a dog can just kind of wander onto an army base and all of a sudden be a part of the core is, is kind of absurd. 
and didn't really do anything for me. It's it's not a movie, you know, I never felt like, I don't know, I just, it never felt like a dog that, you know, I'm a dog person, I love dogs, dogs in movies, dogs and in real life, dogs everywhere, and can't wait to get dogs of my own when I live in a place that I can keep them. But this movie has a dog that I didn't care about, and I don't think mattered at all. Uh, I didn't, you know, at one point, uh, Logan Lerman's character, they're actually out at at the, you know, in combat areas, and they meet these French people, uh, French soldiers, and, you know, that whole thing just seemed super contrived and silly. It's all of it was very silly, uh, which I'm sure is great for kids, and then I think that they'll be perfectly distracted by it. But for me, uh, you know, it's, it's not nothing to write home about. I mean, I guess it's something to podcast about, but it's nothing to write home about. Sergeant Stubby and American Hero. I give it a nine, so nine times better than Acrimony, and still not in double digits. Moving on to the third movie. This one is in theaters. It came out last weekend, I think. Yes, this over this past weekend. It is a new horror movie in theaters uh, called Truth or Dare. Revolving around a game of Truth or Dare that traps people into it and forces them to follow through with everything that takes place. And that premise could be amazing. Like, that could be such a fantastic premise, and it really just isn't. Uh, Unfortunately, what ends up happening is that the premise itself isn't good enough for the filmmakers, and so they have to introduce, uh, you know, a curse and a Mexican mission curse that's happening. Uh, They have to add this ridiculous Snapchat filter face. You know, even that's how it's referred in this movie at one point, a badge Snapchat filter, um, which just comes off as silly and not scary. And the movie focuses on, in my opinion, the least charismatic actors in the movie. Uh, I think the the uh, gay guy, the Asian guy, is my favorite of the main core group of people and the most compelling character. And he is completely disserviced by his story arc. story arc I use that very very loosely but here's the thing so if your movie is going to revolve around truth or dare and it's a horror movie and you're you're trying to make a movie that is going to scare somebody and and creep them out and you know create a tone and a mood where you know the next time someone plays truth or dare that it, it kind of seeps through them you shouldn't Make your game of truth or dare possessed by a a demon. That is not the route to take. You know, I look at I, I I thought of the whole time I was watching this, I was thinking of it follows. It follows is an incredibly simple premise that has incredibly wide implications. Uh, just the idea that if you see someone walking toward you, that's terrifying. Uh, after seeing It Follows, because that that movie is well-made, and it it takes its premise, it doesn't have to embellish it the way that Truth or Dare does with its premise, and it it does give you this lingering sense of of dread when you think of, like, is that person following me? 
is that, you know, you, you, no one likes the idea of being followed. You know, it's kind of creepy already to see someone just walking straight toward you. And It Follows does a great job of playing on that fear and that concern. Truth or dare, I, I mean, you go into that game, and depending on how serious you are about the game and depending on who's playing with you, uh, there's always the op- the, the uh, possibility that you'll get asked the wrong thing or dared to do something you really don't want to do. And that's, you know, there's some unsettling aspects to the just the idea of truth or dare. And that's, I think, what the movie needed to play up the, the fact, the, the play up. Uh, and it doesn't. It, 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 take, it twists things into this absurd lo- place. And I, I really just completely lost interest in all of whatever drama was happening. What needed to take place... And they do this a couple of times, but never, definitely not all the times. But every truth and every dare needed to have a a connection to the plot, needed to be connected to the characters that it was involving, and needed to ramp up the tension, right? Like, that's how it should work. And there are definitely a few that do this. I would cite the the hand-breaking dare as a good one, and a good one. Um, some of the tr- the first truth after they leave Mexico I thought was good, uh, but a lot of them are not. Uh, the the walking on the roof one I didn't like. The um, I'm trying to think the 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 sec- the first guy who who's dared in the bar I didn't think that was worthy. It was like worthwhile at all. Uh, you know, his character entirely throwaway. He's basically the Slipknot from Suicide Squad of, of this. Uh, and it just, it, it, nothing, nothing came together. It didn't you know, kind of mesh well. And by the end of the movie, I was just kind of like, well, okay, shrug. Uh, it's, it's not interesting. We also, in the movie, introduce a solution, a, a fix, a uh, 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 problem fixing of of this game that they're trapped in a way to get out of it and that goes absolutely nowhere it doesn't pay off uh it it fizzles and dies then as soon as that happens our main character lucy hale gives us another out which she convinces at least one other person will work which ultimately does not work and this is kind of the the issue how how do you if <laughs> it's it's like you you ask the uh, without spoiling that moment uh if if you if your movie presents itself as 100% absolutely unwinnable within the parameters of the movie then why do i care about your movie why do i care about the characters if they cannot 100% possibly win how does that make any sense? It doesn't. Uh, the movie also completely betrays the rules of truth or dare by daring someone to tell a truth, which I think is ridiculous and stupid and completely defeats the purpose of making it truth or dare. You know, it, it's if you're going to play a game, play it by the rules. Even if those rules aren't known, uh, as in there's a twist to the rules that we learn about partway through, that's fine. Uh, but the, 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 you know, 
you should, uh, you know, everyone telling one of the characters to pick truth. She ends up picking dare because she's afraid of picking truth of what it's going to ask her. And then it dares her to tell the truth. You know, like, that's so dumb and that's such a sort of cheap way to get at that information. Uh, which, by the way, all the information that takes place between the Lucy Hale and her best friend character, uh, so dumb. I didn't like any of that. It was just an up and down roller coaster that felt superfluous. So, Truth the Dare, it, the only thing, so the main thing why it's rated above Sergeant's W, why it's rated above Acrimony, is the ending. So, I actually found the ending interesting. I don't know, someone in front of me in the movie theater called it the best ending ever. Definitely not. But it definitely has interesting implications. Now, I think a lot of those implications are sort of negated by some of the thing rules that we've learned are set in place in this movie. But if they do make a sequel, which is likely because this movie like made more money than it would cost in its first weekend alone... Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they intend to do with the se- a sequel if they make one. But I think that there's a enough there to maybe improve upon this if you get like an entirely better writing staff, better director, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and completely scrap the original characters. I don't want to see them again. We should have new characters in the new movie if there is a new movie, but there might not be, and I don't really care either way. But So that's Truth or Dare. I give that a 16. A 16. So now let's jump up to a movie that I actually think is competently made, a movie that is actually decent, all things considered, and I mean, it's an amazing movie relative to the three I've already talked about. Uh, this is a Netflix documentary that came out, I think, this month, called Seeing All Red. It is about the lawyer Gloria Allred. She is, um, I guess you would say she's an activist in a lot of ways. She supports victims, uh, particularly those who have been unjustly wronged, in a sense, uh, discriminated against for their gender or or the color of their skin or or many many of other things. And Gloria Allred is kind of a punchline in a lot of ways. You know, my first re- uh, exposure to who she was is in the movie Rat Race. There is a scene where Seth Green and his brother um, fake trip somebody on... Uh, they, they, they're setting this up to, for one of them to trip on a glass and, like, tumble down an elevator uh, to sue the build the casino and what ends up happening is somebody else slips on it and then all of a sudden glory all red is right next to this person uh telling them like oh we're gonna sue and it's this kind of punchline you know she has become this demonized figure in the legal world of you know she's out to get all the money kind of situation you'll see parodies of her on late night shows, uh, you know, they even even in this this movie they show them on uh, like South Park and uh, tons of things like that. And so, uh, since then, and I, I saw Rat Race for the first time many many years ago, and since then I have definitely been exposed to the money grubbing side of how people see Gloria Allred, but I've grown to understand that there is a lot more going on there and that she is not just 
out for money. She is perfectly a, a more than capable attorney and one that has done a lot of good for our society. And this movie doesn't really it, it doesn't really showcase any individual case that she took on, but kind of gloms them all together and presents her as the <clears throat> main focus of this film. She is, you know, we, we watch sort of the transitional transitional period throughout her life as she becomes an activist, as she becomes someone who supports the little guy, someone who cannot support themselves. It, it touches on her lawsuits with Trump that have taken place very recently, uh, her involvement in the Bill Cosby trials as well, and her fighting for, you know, amending a lot of the uh, statutes that prevent victims from getting their just desserts. And I think that is a commendable and positive thing. On the other hand, the film, however, doesn't quite reach a point where I was happy. Uh, you know, I, I think it's fine and, and nice to showcase Gloria Allred, and I think she is a figure in society that deserves a bit more uh, dimension to her besides the caricatures that we've seen. I think she is long she is long overdue for a better expose about, you know, what she has done and, and how uh, impactful she has been on our society. And this is not the documentary that does that. It sort of just shows you the highlights of her career. It doesn't dive into the cases most time you know it glances over a ton of the things that she has done and been involved with but gives them maybe one sentence uh, of context if that and that's not good enough for me you know I, I think if this movie is only setting out to say that there's more to her than just the character caricature you've seen it doesn't do a great job of that and that's kind of the low bar for what I think a Gloria Allred documentary should be it, it shouldn't just be, she's not a caricature. It should be, no, she is a complex and, and powerful woman who has been at the forefront of um, equal rights for quite some time. And this is all of the, these are all of the amazing things she has done with it. And this is the adversity she has met along the way. That is the, what the movie should, tr should be trying to expose, expose. And it doesn't really do a good job of that. Uh, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Uh, it is significantly better than the three movies I mentioned by a wide margin, but it is a little bit more of a puff piece than I think it should and it deserves to be. And and that's then it deserves to be. And, and that's unfortunate. So I gave Seeing All Red a 47. That's on Netflix, so it's a lot easier to access and, and convince yourself to watch than the other movies. I in my opinion. And it is far better than them, even combined. So that is my recommendation in that sense. And those are the movies. Those are the those are four movies I've seen recently. They are all 2018 movies. I think the only one worth checking out is seeing All Red, but even that is kind of like iffy. So I wouldn't say that it's a must-see by any stretch. But if you're looking for a documentary, if you haven't seen many documentaries this year, seeing All Red is not the worst place to start. Um, so that is where we're at with that. Uh, and that's pretty much all the reviews for today. I'm going to jump into a Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League update real quick and uh, get out of here. So let's do that. We sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights. 
We are through week seven of the Fantasy Movie League spring season of 2018. Uh, this season, this week, we saw A Quiet Place sneak through and steal the best performer bonus. Uh, we had quite a few people play at least one of those, a lot of people playing two screens, which was the maximum you could have had. And so, in that respect, we had a much better weekend this weekend than last weekend, and the last couple weekends, in fact. Uh, Plexi ended up winning the week. Uh, by a slim, slim margin, uh, the difference between first and second place was like 90,000. It was a very tiny margin uh, of, of difference. and Or like 100,000, rather. Uh, and, and so that's not much give and take. But you had about 12 to 15 people, at least at $85 million. And Plexi won with about 90 and a half. So... Not a ton of space uh, of movement happening around the league. The top five remain unchanged, and they are the only people above six hundred million dollars for the season. Uh, there is only about nine million dollars that separates the top four. So this is still a up and up in the air season. We have had for the last four weeks, the top four have been very close together. Actually, I would say every week the top four have been very close together this season, and none of them have really gotten a, the opportunity to, to make a huge gain on the others. So, you know, we are one big breakout week could be the difference uh, to winning this season for that one of them. Uh, that being said, uh, your best performer leader remains director's cut. You know, everyone in the top five best performers. It, with the exception of Film Obsessed 35, had at least two screens, or with the exception of the Flex, film, one of them, Flex, film, film Obsessed, Film Obsessed 35, the Flex, one of them, whoever was in fifth last week, uh, one of those is it did not play A Quiet Place, the rest of them played two, so uh, really no mu not much change there, no perfect cineplexes for the fourth straight week this season. Uh, this is the first week of, of the spring season that was won by Plexi. Uh, Rahman has won three weeks this season, so that's a big, big lead in that statistic. Uh, one of the things I've added to the spreadsheet that you can find uh, in the Cinerealist Chatter on Fantasy Movie League is the tiebreak statistic. So uh, what that means, and I've kind of updated already since the last time I spoke about it, but if you go to the right of most of the data on the spring 2018 page you will see different columns for each week so the first week that mattered was a quiet place which is week six i have the num week number in parentheses uh, this will show everyone's prediction for what a quiet place would make uh, and then uh, at the bottom of that column you will see the actual number uh, a quiet place was one of the most um how do how would you uh uh, divisive predictions. Uh, there are a couple of people who came very, very close, and by a couple, I mean two, and everyone else was more than like $5 million off of the actual number. Rampage was a lot different. Uh, the, the distance to the pin was much, much closer with Rampage than it was with Quiet Place. Uh, before, but, and so I have 
predicted that the next six tiebreakers will likely be for A Quiet Place, Infinity War, Infinity War, Infinity War, Infinity War, and Solo. So that being said, uh, you can see that the average tiebreak uh, for each person is listed to the left of that. It's in a colored column, so it's easy to de uh, decipher. Um, there are only three people whose average tiebreak is less than $10 million. Rahman leads the way with less than $2 million. Plexi is a little over $2 million. Uh, and Director's Cut is at $7.5 million. Everyone else has an average tiebreak score of $10 million or more. And then on the column to the left of that, there's the sum tiebreak. Uh, so both of these numbers you want to be as small as possible. Uh, I just figured that they would be slightly different numbers and you could get a get a look and chance to see you know how how much you were off on the season as a whole and then how much you're off on average by every week uh, this takes the absolute value of that uh, as does the fantasy movie league um, system so you can check that out and see how you're doing in that respect uh, there are a lot of people who do not put in tiebreakers at least the new tiebreaker and that's fine uh, as fml has said if you don't do that it'll just revert back to lock time which is perfectly fine but um, I don't know. I, there's no harm in it, right? I guess. You know. Yeah. Uh, as far as percentage of maximum possible season at this point, uh, everyone is below 88% now. With Raman leading at 87.94%. There are only five people at 80% or more, and Perksplex is barely hanging on to that at 80.71%. We have three people in the 70s, and then a bunch of people down in the 60% range so the the div division between people in this season is pretty wide uh if you compare to last season we had six people at 80 percent or more and then another five at 70 percent so uh, we have d this season has been kind of cream rising to the top a little bit we'll see if that can trend continues or if uh we can sort of group everybody back up a little bit more looking forward to week eight uh the tiebreaker in question is for a quiet place's third weekend you know it's predicted to make between 20 and 25 million so that's likely where your number is going to be but there's a chance it could slip outside of those we have two new movies in i feel or three new movies in i feel pretty super troopers 2 and traffic uh to impact the box office and uh, we will see how that plays out, ultimately. And that's it. That's it. That is the update for the Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League Spring 2018 season. And <clears throat> that is today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch, you want to write into the show, you want to do anything, I don't know, tweet at the show, whatever, uh, circleoffilm at gmail.com for email, at circleoffilm on Twitter. If you want to... Check out the website, circleoffilm.com, for all past episodes and much more, including, um, fairly recently, a review uh, of the 2018 film, uh, Ramekin. Uh, and then, if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash circleoffilm and find out all you need to know for that. Thank you once again, and as always, have a week. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight.
Why do we need so long?